0: Would you open God's precious holy word to John? The Gospel of John, and we are coming now to the beginning of chapter two. Chapter one was a powerful introduction to the person of the Son of God. Chapters two through 12 are John's account of the public ministry of Jesus. Chapters 13 through 17 are a private ministry, Christ to his disciples in the upper room, and then chapters 18 through 21, John's account of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John said, over in chapter 20, at the end of this book, that there were many things he didn't write, but he did write these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Aside from the resurrection of Jesus, John gives us eight miracles which Jesus performed. Now, back in chapter 21, as he closes out his gospel, John said, If everything that Jesus did was written in detail, the world could not contain the books that would be written. What about that? The Holy Spirit of God inspires John to reflect upon eight miracles of Jesus. To lay down the proof that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who can save us as we believe on his name. This is the first of those miracles. As a matter of fact, this is the first of any miracles which Jesus performed. We have been having testimony and words up to this point, but now the focus is on the works of Jesus and intermingled with the account of those works are the teaching of the Christ of God in various ways, giving us results of miracles or giving us a detailed setting of where the miracles took place and and so forth. We'll see that as we go along. So now we come to verse one in chapter two of John's gospel. And on the third day, now let's put this in perspective. This is the third day after he had his exchange with Nathanael. That means that since Jesus was first identified as the Lamb of God, the Christ, since Jesus was first identified by John the Baptist, one week has passed since this time. So this is one week after John had initially introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God, who is the Christ in his first coming. On the third day, a wedding took place. A wedding. Big deal. Especially in this culture. You know what? It should be in every culture. Think about marriage for a moment. It's under terrible attack and abuse in these days, these last days. There would be no such thing as the word of marriage Man would never even dream up that institution. It was created by God. It's an institution that God created and ordained. And in instituting, ordaining, and giving to the human race this institution of marriage, God promised a blessing for the human race. As we follow that doctrine of marriage, God ordained marriage, and as God introduced it, as he created it, he exemplified it as, and this is the definition of marriage from heaven, it is one man and one woman for a lifetime. In in giving this, this institution to the human race, We are taught in the scriptures that it has in it, it has built in it a blessing for the culture that honors marriage. That is God-ordained, God-instituted marriage as defined in the Bible. Man in these last days has twisted that definition but you and I can only stand on the definition which God has given to us and exemplified in the creation of the first man and the first woman and God's command to them to replenish the earth. Now, the blessing comes to a culture who honors the dignity and the special place of marriage. It is a very special thing. In the Bible, God's people, the Old Testament people, Israel, honored the institution of marriage. And every time there was a wedding, it was a big deal. It was something that everyone needed to come and be a part of. In the joy, the rejoicing, the party, the festival, the festive, the festive activities. As surely as that culture, those people who honor marriage are blessed, those who dishonor marriage, as it's given to us in the scripture, defined by God Almighty, and Emphasized later in the New Testament by Christ Himself. If a society dishonors marriage, that society will collapse into lawlessness, chaos, and all kinds of evil. So it's a fairly simple deal those societies and those generations that honor the dignity of marriage as defined and ordained by God in the scriptures are a healthy culture. They are a healthy society. They have the blessing of God. But a society that forsakes that does not have that blessing And collapses within itself into a a terrible pile of evil and defilement, defiled activity. Here, Christ honors the dignity of marriage as defined and ordained and instituted by God by attending this wedding. If it wasn't a special and blessed thing, Christ would not be there. So here we go. On the third day, one week into his public ministry, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Now that's nine miles from where they were previously. During that week, obviously, Christ and his disciples are making their way to Cana. That's a matter of fact, we're told in the Bible, this is the hometown of Nathanael. But it's, it's in the general region of Galilee and there would have only been a few hundred people in that whole region. This was not a big place. It was a small place. So even within that nine mile or so radius, people would have known each other. They would have dealt with each other. Many times they were kin to one another. So this would have been an event to which everyone in that whole region would have been invited because everybody knew everybody. It was a big deal. It was an important thing. And all the friends and family came together to honor and recognize the dignity and the very special place that marriage has in the lives of the man and the woman. We are not mankind if we are only men or only women. That's not mankind. We are mankind when the man and the woman come together. The two shall be one, and those two comprise mankind. Now, the mother of Jesus was there. Then Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. And having been deficient of wine, we'll stop there bridegroom and bride. This engagement had been going on for some time. A betrothal. Let's go back. Let's transport ourselves back to this culture. And here's a young man and a young woman. They've grown up together. They know each other and have fallen in love. And so the man comes before The father and the bride, or the bride-to-be, or the young woman is there as well. And the young man explains to the father how he wants to marry. He wants to take this young lady as his bride, the daughter as his bride. He wants to become betrothed. And... He seeks the father's approval. Now, you know, there aren't a whole lot of daddies who look with a great deal of grace on the dates that their daughters go out with. He's a creep, he's a scumbag. I can look at him and tell. Now, you know, your son, what you gonna do? I mean, they're, but your daughter. So the the daddy would say, oh yeah? How do you propose to take care of her? Well, I have a trade. And I'm working for my father. And we do very well. And I will be sure that all things are prepared if you will give us your blessing. The father says, okay, you have my blessing upon your word. And The son would say, then I'm going to prepare a place for her. In my father's house, there's a lot of space. So when I leave here, I'm going to prepare a place for her. And when all things are ready, my father will tell me when it's ready. And he will tell me to go and retrieve my bride. I will work as long as my father requires until this place that I will prepare for her is absolutely perfect. And she needs to be ready for me. Because I won't know when this place is ready. Only my father knows. But when he tells me it's ready. Then I'm coming to get her. Day or night. And I'm going to bring her to myself. And wherever I am. There she's going to be. So the father's in prayer, okay, great. So here's a bridegroom who has assumed the financial responsibility of this wedding. He told the father that he knew how to be responsible and take, <laughs> and, and take care of things. I'm a responsible person. <laughs> uh, oh, It's got a story to it. Let me recover for a moment. Mm. Now, everybody's there having a big time. And here's the way this would always go. The guy paying the bill would put three parts water. And they never drank the wine straight. It was always diluted with water. This was a staple in the ancient world and... With his guests, he would start with three parts water and one part wine. Or he would, I'm sorry, he would, he would yeah, he would start with three to one, diluted with water. As the evening drug on, and the, the wine, the unmixed wine, began to diminish in its supply then he would switch from three parts water to 10 parts water. And he would do that last instead of first. They'd already had the good stuff first, and they were, you know, they were, they were content. <laughs> <laughs> and probably wouldn't have recognized the difference between the three-to-one the, the solution and the ten-to-one But now the poor guy, who has made all these promises to this bride's daddy, who is there, has run out of wine. Having been deficient of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So everybody's out there having a big time. They're eating their stuff. They're still sipping on what they had, not knowing that the wine was gone. And they were doing their Jewish festive dances and and carried on having a big time, laughing. And the center of attention were the bridegroom and the bride and the mother of Jesus. Now you think about this. Jesus was the oldest son of Mary. She had other children later by Joseph, but... Jesus, the virgin-born Christ, the Bible says, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus could solve problems even before he was presented as the Christ of God. Jesus always had a solution. This was Mary's take on this. She didn't go to anybody else but Jesus. I know he'll know what to do. She wasn't really thinking of a miracle. She just knew that somehow Jesus would work it out. He had always worked out the problem since Joseph had died in their household, and he could do this now. They have no wine. Jesus said to her, what is that to me and to you, woman? My hour is not yet come. Now that seems a little sassy, doesn't it? It's okay. Here's what Jesus is saying. Since a week ago, our role is no longer mother and son, our role is Lord and servant. Jesus has now been identified publicly. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him. That looked like a dove. The pronouncement from the Father in heaven has been made. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now he's no longer just the son of his mother. But he's the son of the Father. He has come to accomplish something, and the hour has not yet come. Woman, what is it to me and what is it to you if the poor guy ran out of wine? This isn't my hour. You ever had a mother who didn't take no for an answer? So after that scolding, Mary said, Servants, come here. Just do whatever he says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he may say to you. She trusted Jesus. But now she would be made to understand what she had kept hidden in her heart. That the time would come when he would no longer be just her son, but he would be her Lord And her master. So then. The next thing that happens. Is that Jesus designates six water jars of stone. Now these were for the purification. The Jews purified everything. They purified the utensils. The forks, the plates. They purified their hands, their feet. They just. So these. This particular. Water. These six water jars. Jars were there for purification purposes. Jesus saw them. Now, it says that these jars had the space for two or three metrete. Now, that means one jar would hold about nine gallons of water. Okay? 54 gallons. 54 gallons. (laughs) That ought to be enough. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. Now the Holy Spirit reminds us that when they filled them up, there was no space for anything else to be poured in there. There was nothing but water. And he said to them, now draw out and carry to the master of the feast, and they carried it. Then when the master of the feast had tasted the water, having become wine, and he knew not where it came from, however the servants having drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, Every man sets out the good wine first. Every man usually sets out the three-to-one mixture. But you've gone beyond that. And then when they've had a lot of the three-to-one, they bring out the ten-to-one. But you've kept the good wine until now. You put the four gospel accounts together. It is acknowledged that this is This is unlike any wine we've ever tasted. This is the best wine ever. Ever. This is heaven's wine. I have never drunk wine in my life. Have I? I don't think so. (laughs) I got so drunk I couldn't remember whether (laughs) what was that stuff no I suppose I've had stuff cooked in it (laughs) but anyway here's the point I gotta I gotta give you a story my daddy oh listen my daddy was an old time Baptist preacher and you listen to me You, you didn't shoot pool. That was evil. Didn't play cards. That was evil. Every time we bought a, a board game, if it had dice in it, we had to throw it away, and we had to write the numbers on paper and fold it. Can't, can't hold dice. That's evil. Dancing evil. You know what they say? John the Baptist was the first Baptist preacher to lose his head over dancing. But uh, we go on vacation to Florida. Daddy, I don't know how far he would go out of the way to find a restaurant that didn't serve alcohol when I was a kid. But some infinitely glorious day, there is going to be a marriage supper set. And when they put that goblet before me, I'm going to drink me a little wine. <laughs> heaven's wine. And so this is heaven's wine. And he brags on the bridegroom. Now go back up here to the second line. Well, the water having become wine. gegene menon. That's a version of the same word that's used in John chapter 1 and verse 3 speaking of Christ. All things through him became. So that's a God word. That's to make something out of nothing. It's a word only for God. There is no human thing here at all coming from the hand of Christ. This is God in the presence of these people who, with just a thought, totally creates wine and makes the water go away. Now, you think about this. This is how I see it. If you're going to have wine, you have to have some seeds. You have to plant the seeds, you have to grow the stuff, what grapes, whatever. And then you have to work all that. You got to have soil to put seeds in. You got to have rain and sun, and then it has to grow. And then you have to squish it and mix it and do all the things you do. This is the best wine this guy has ever had in his mouth, and it happened just like that, because this is the first miracle of Jesus, and it is the beginning of his revealing himself. To his disciples, God in the flesh. Nothing like it ever. This Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the beginning of signs. You could translate it miracles, signs. And he revealed his glory. Now I told you earlier that John in chapter 21 said, you know what? If everything that Jesus did was written in detail, there are not enough books in the world to contain the story. Here's what I'm to understand about these three years of God in the flesh walking on this earth. Miracle after miracle. Sickness healed. The dead raised, could a funeral procession ever pass in the presence of Christ without Christ intervening? I think not. Christ never turned anybody down. We studied then the Gospel of Luke some time back. He healed them all," was the statement that Luke made. He never bypassed a one from the time of his getting up until the time that he finally retired at night. He healed them. He cast out their demons. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. The dumb could talk. The lame could walk. The withered hands were made free. And they were restored to their humanity. All that Christ did. Every time, you know, we saw in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh. And we beheld his glory. Now look at this. And he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Every powerful miracle. And they would go all day until those times when Christ would withdraw for a little rest and reflection with his disciples and teaching. They would go all the time. The whole world in that part of the world, that whole civilization, that culture, Was changed. But his disciples, they beheld his glory all day long for three years. And he revealed his glory. Fill the water pots with water. And somewhere between a couple of those verses, in the filling up to the brim and putting a lid on it and carrying those heavy things to the master of the feast, somewhere in those few short steps, Christ created wine with a thought. And the bridegroom was rescued from the predicament that he found himself in. And what? And his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, and he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they, they didn't stay there many days. This is the first of his miracles. Only eight of them are recorded by John. John admits there is no human way possible to write down in detail what Christ did just with a thought, just with a hand, on a particular occasion, just with spittle, just with a smile, just with a command. The demons would flee The dead were raised, the sick were healed, and Christ revealed his glory. Christ revealed his glory. John said, these things have I written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that you might, believing in him, in his name, have life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Nobody ever has done these things but God the Son, the Savior. I hope that if you're here today without Christ you will come to the only Savior whom we have Jesus in just a moment we'll sing and in the act of standing you're invited to come and just take me by the hand and say pastor pray for me I want to be saved maybe you're here and God leads you to come and be a part of this church you're already saved and this is where you want to plant your life with fellow believers to study his word to fellowship with others to serve Christ here you come as well if you don't want to do that just now but you want to speak to the deacons and their wives then as you exit they're in the rooms and they're there to speak with you pray with you and answer your questions this invitation is all inclusive for you as God would call and speak to you today. Father God in heaven, oh Lord, bless this time together and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand all over? Let's sing this song of invitation. You come.